Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is me, Sham, Yurth Green the 13th. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of Flight of the Fallen by Mary H. Herbert. Now, I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know it, stop watching now, go read the book, then come back and uh, join us. It should take you just a few minutes or something like that, right? You're that fast? Now, uh, I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member if you're not already by <laughs> visiting the link in the description below. And you can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials using my affiliate links also in the description below. This is just my opinion. This is my perspective. So if you differ, which, hey, we're all different little chemically uh, controlled computers on this planet anyway, right? <laughs> Isn't that what humans are? Uh, I expect you to not have the same opinions as I do. So share them. If you're in live chat, share your thoughts there. If you're watching this after it's been live, then put them in the comments. And we can have a nice little back and forth about what you liked, what you didn't like, how your opinions differ, and all that jazz. Chris, great to see you. How you doing? What's up, Wiley? How you doing, man? All right. So the way this works is I'm going to give you my pre-written review, and then I'll just riff for a little while. You know, riff on characters and situations, on the timeline, whatever you want. And of course, if there's anything that pops into your little Dragonlance love and mind, throw it up there in the YouTube chat and I'll uh, chat with you about it for a little bit. All right, let's do it. Diving into this novel is exactly like the one before it. There is a lot of time taken explaining what happened in the preceding novels before even getting to what happens in this novel. For example... At the time of writing this, I was one-third of the way through the novel, and two events have occurred. Crucible, the bronze dragon that was helping Lyncha, returns to Sanction, and the Scorpion Wadi, the location where the Legionnaires, Salamnic Knights, Galtrakalas Militia, and citizens fled to from the tarmac, was raided and everyone was captured. Nine chapters in, and only two events have occurred. I suppose you could argue that three events actually occurred, but the third was Lynchia and the knights falling for a tarmac trap and getting captured as well, so I rolled that into the second one. Now, I'm not complaining about Mary's style of writing, just the amount of time going over what has already happened in two preceding novels, rather than what's actually happening in this novel. It makes me want to rip out those pages, and I'm not even reading it. I'm listening to it. And yet... I get that there are people who haven't read these novels and are actually reading them out of order. But that's on them. I shouldn't have to retread old ground on the off chance that some rando who doesn't understand novels' order is reading this. And all that being said, I do actually enjoy what I'm hearing. <laughs> so with Crucible gone, the Tarmac have no reason not to capture and enslave the knights and militia who fought them. It makes perfect sense. We're presented with a fighting force and culture that is alien to most readers, and showcasing them like this is a great way to hammer home their threat to Ancelon or the Plains of Dust at the very least. The general, the Tarmac leader, is unforgiving and direct, and I really appreciate that in a bad guy. Lyncha is really flighty in this novel, but it's earned due to the events of the preceding novels. We understand why she acts and thinks the way she does, and when she exchanged verbal blows with Ceramic, I wanted to be standing behind her, goading her on. She presents herself in dangerous situations, uh, she puts herself in dangerous situations because she doesn't think the situation's through. She's a very inconsistent character. For example, they return to the labyrinth in Mirage, which is the portion of the city, 
because a wounded enemy warrior told them that the tarmac were returning the dragon eggs there. This is clearly an ambush, and Lynchia realizes it too late. If they had just looked before leaping, they wouldn't have been chained up at the moment. I also like that Crucible left, as he was a protective barrier to the story. He was Lynch's shield, so nothing could harm her. The novel opens with her running from mercenaries and intentionally jumping off of a cliff into the open ocean to escape them, knowing that she could just call on Crucible to save her, which she does. Now that he's gone, she has to actually consider her actions and not simply rely on those stronger than her to save her ass. Ultimately, this initial third was frustrating for the retreading of old ground and oversimple with only two events occurring in nine chapters. Here's hoping the rest is more focused. Okay. I am pleased to report that it did become <laughs> infinitely more focused. Now, only, uh, not only is there a primary story, but there's a pretty decent little B-plot developing with some continued love interest, the remaining uh, traitor in the surrounding mists, and the Ian, the ghost from the clandestine circle novel, is still around helping Lyncha in her dreams. Now, as Lyncha is a prisoner, the remaining escaped legionnaires and knights are plotting on how to rescue those captured by the tarmac. This is not going to be a simple task, as the tarmac seemed to always be one step ahead. Varia, Lynch's owl, returned to Sanction once again to ask Crucible to come back, and Crucible relayed that he believes Tachesis is back on Kryn, hiding. This is the first time that it actually grounds the timeline to the very beginning of the War of Souls. I really appreciate that they're working in this timeline and truly clarifying world events as they unfold. Varia relays her concern to Crucible, who then flies off to rescue Lyncia. But this is exactly what the Tarmac wanted. They're using Lyncia as bait for Crucible. And as soon as he shows up, they attack, stringing, uh, striking him with a bolt shaped from the Abyssal Lance. The Tarmac General, Akkad Ur, tells Crucible that he will have the Dark kill him and Lyncia if he doesn't cooperate in helping the Tarmac dominate all of the Plains of Dust. With no real choice, he becomes their prisoner. Now this is a part that I had a problem getting over. I didn't write it in my review, but it's something that has been bothering me ever since I finished reading it yesterday. And it's that if you're a good dragon and you knew that your ultimate fate was death, why would, then you, you, why would you work with the bad guys knowing that they're just gonna kill you anyway? It makes zero sense. Like, if you're just going to die, why would you then become bad yourself to prolong that death a little bit? I've just been struggling with it, like, running it through my mind. I don't think Crucible would have done that, especially when we find out who Crucible actually is, which is going to be at the end of this novel. But, like, he's got his own town that is actively being overrun by Dark Knights and Salamnic Knights that he's trying to protect, and he's just on a whim, comes running off to help Lynch whenever she needs it? It's too much. It, it tells me that the story is bigger than the main characters, and they needed a foil in order to not kill the main characters off. And that's frustrating, because then it's not as believable. The Free Knights are approached by two parties. First are Kirath Elves from Sylvanesty. Relaying information about Mina dropping the shield around Sylvanesty, 
and that they hope to enlist Aesta's help to get rid of the Dark Knights, who are in control of Sylvanost. When they realize that Aesta was killed, a plainsman rides in to tell them that Beryl, the dragon overlord, was killed, and that there are elves migrating from Quilinesty to Sylvanesty. The Kiroth leave to see the, uh, this migration themselves, and again, this places the events of this trilogy in perfect clarity with the rest of the world much more than has been done this far. And I really, really appreciated that as this story progresses, so does the War of Souls. And it is in, like, uh, intimately impacted by the use of magic and that magic being drained by spirits. And it explains why Ian, the Dark Knight douche from Clandestine Circle novel, is still hanging around Lynchia, helping her out for some weird reason. So the knights decide it's time to break out Lynchia and the other captives, and so they go in. They're able to get many of them out, but are presented with continued suspicions of traitors. Akkad Ur is drinks with the unnamed traitor, who devises a plan to get Lynchia back after Akkad Ur had already put a bounty on Lynchia. Now, if you're reading this novel, there's no secret. You know who the traitor is. <laughs> you knew last novel. But they don't outright say it until this one. So Akkad Ur told Lord Remick, that's the Knight of Salamnia, uh, Lord Knight that hates Lynchia, that he will be released with three knights to tell Duntolik, the town, of the Tarmac's coming invasion and to give them a chance to fight. Uh, he tells them that Lynchia was the one who's been working as a spy, which is a lie, and this infuriates Lord Remick, confirming many of the suspicions he had already had, and he agrees to deliver the message to Duntolik. Now, we're assuming that he will try to kill Lynchia when he finds her. Now that Lynchia and some of the captives are free, the remaining knights break up into three different groups and ride to three different sections of the Plains of Dust to warn the various different tribes of the Tarmac threat and gather them for an offensive. I assume the offensive will be at Duntolik. Now, I'm excited to see where the story goes at this point as I'm now two-thirds of the way through the novel. Now that I'm finished with... Um, and then I cut to, of course, being finished with the novel. And I have to say, what a fantastic ending. It really made up for the first third of the novel. So Lynchia meets up with many of the tribes at a great Valenwood tree. And they all prepare for battle. Lord Remick arrives with the Akkad Ur's terms of surrender, and they refuse. He then meets up with Lynchia, uh, and we're finally shown him as a true Salamnic knight. He considered all of the lies that were told to him, and he refuses to believe that Lynchia actually betrayed her order. However, his meeting with her was actually just a set-up ambush by the tarmac yet again, and they are once again prisoners. This is a recurring theme that is incredibly frustrating and annoying as a reader. If you're just going to keep capturing her over and over and over again, if you're so good at what you do as tarmacs to recapture these people over and over and over again, why can't you hold on to them? Like, if we're supposed to believe you're this incredible fighting force that cannot be stopped by anything or anyone, which they are presented as that way throughout this entire novel, even through to the end, why do they have slippy, greasy fingers when they're trying to hold on to someone as a prisoner? It doesn't make any sense. Like, she's a prisoner in this novel at least three times. At the very beginning, in the middle, and at the end. She keeps getting away, but they keep capturing her over again until the very end when she's just a total prisoner. It's, I try not to swear on this channel. It's ridiculous is what it is. It's just the stupidest story trope to rehash and retread over and over and over again in this same novel. 
Either they're effective or they're not. But you can't play up like they're Benny Hill when they're holding prisoners and they are the gladiator when they're taking them. It's stupid. All right. So they're all taken back to the tarmac advancing military units and the Akkad Ur and Sir Remick duel for their freedom. Sir Remick kills the general Akkad Ur and the traitor and second in command of the tarmac is revealed as Lanther. He was a legionnaire that's been helping and almost a love interest for Lyncha from the first novel all the way through the first half of this novel. He is now known as the Akkad Dar and has Sir Remick beheaded as Lyncha watches. Now, right before he was beheaded, he actually salutes her as a form of respect before he's killed. Lyncha is placed in a cage as the Tarmac conqueror, uh, conquers the eastern plains of dust, eventually capturing all of Dentolic. Lyncha is rescued by the centaurs and legion, again, and she reveals Panther for um, Lanther for the traitor that he is to everyone else and those lost in, uh, in their recapture. She is then taken to Crucible, the dragon, who works her magic to get the barb out of his back, and he is then revealed to finally be Lord Bite himself, or more appropriately, Lord Bite is Crucible. And Lyncha loses her mind. Every man in her life that she has grown fond of has outright lied to her or betrayed her. She saves Crucible's life and sends him to the rear, and then she's once again, drumroll please, Recaptured! Yeah! Again! The Akkad Dar needs reinforcements to continue conquering the Plains of Dust and plans to return to their island of Ithincarthia to inform the Emperor of their victory. He propositions Lyncha to be his wife, and she naturally refuses. He then puts her with the slaves for months. Well, yeah, they just jump time like crazy. So this has to be after the War of Souls at this point. So, um... He puts her the slaves for months, and eventually she's cleaned up and made the same offer. This time, knowing it's her only chance at a life or even a chance of escaping, she accepts for a price. She wants the dragon eggs taken from Maesta. Now, this is the part that drives me insane. Why she can't, why she doesn't think that she can escape them at this point, after having already escaped them three times and been recaptured, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense why she can't escape again. It's like she just gets tired of being recaught and she's like, okay, I guess I'm just a prisoner now. All right. Shit storytelling is what it is. This ends the novel. And what we're left with, so much devastation and questions. Did Crucible make it out? Will Varia live? Are there any survivors at all from the tarmac onslaught of Duntulloch? There are hundreds of slaves being taken to their island. Are there friends among them? This was a wonderful story that exploits the character of Lynsha and showcases her type. She falls for evil men. The dead sapping magic from those who try to use it was also a really great touch for this timeline as well. And it seems at least the Akadar knows the one god is Tachesis. So, I mean, I, I have to tell you, Lynch is an idiot. Like, you cannot read these novels and think that she is intelligent at all. She's not a critical thinker. She reacts with emotion, not intellect or reason. She is just fumbling her way through her life. And the only reason she ever survives anything is because someone else saves her ass. Or the bad guys feel sorry for her and they just let her live for a while. I don't understand how you can read these novels and think that she's a great heroic character. 
it, and I can't believe that, like, nowadays, I don't think they would ever write this novel this way because it presents women as being fucking stupid. Like, straight up dumb. I, not one woman in this who, they're either whores or they're failed warriors. That's it. That's the only option you get for women in this, this series so far. It's so frustrating, especially coming from Dragonlance, which is nothing but strong women. So, I don't know. Like, I guess, I get it. Not every woman can be strong. Not every woman's Lorana or Tika or Kitiara. You have to have some duds. So, we get Linja. It's funny, because the more I talk about this novel, the less I actually enjoy it. <laughs> like, I get frustrated. Because when you're just reading it, you're like, oh, that's fun adventure, la la la. Then you think about it and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. She's a really dumb character. Why did she make that choice? <laughs> Why are the bad guys doing this? Like, it, you, you really have to stop and think. Anyway, so let's see. A good point that's a pet peeve of yours. Uh, also, when an author spends too much time recapping what happened in the previous book. Yeah, it was brutal, the first third of this book. Uh, you haven't read this one, but you enjoy Mary Herbert's work in previous short stories and novels particularly with Tasseloff. I'm not sure I remember her Tasseloff story. I'm sure I've read it, but... See, dragons often become infatuated with mortals. Is it possible Crucible feels that way about Lyncha? Well, it's possible, They've, but they've only alluded that he cares for her as a really close friend. Like, in, in Clandestine Circle, it was very clear that Lord Bite didn't like her romantically, he just saw her as like a bosom buddy, you know, like a bosom friend, like someone who he genuinely cared for and would sacrifice his life for, arguably. And since we know that that's who Crucible is, then we just extrapolate out that he just genuinely cares for her. I'm starting to think that he sees that she can't actually exist in this world without his help. <laughs> and so sort of like a parent with a kid who clearly will never move out of their house he just takes it on his shoulders to look after her. That's sort of the vibe I'm getting. Uh, you know that town now? Yeah, from Dundalk, yeah. Um, our game in, in the saga was before these events, clearly. Let's see. Uh, the recurring capture release trope reminds you of Dr. Evil and his son, Scotty. <laughs> just shoot the prisoners already. Yeah, for real. It's sad that Palin is one of the smartest people on Kryn, and they depict Lynch this way, especially with a female author. Yeah. I agree. Jason, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Patrick, what's up? Thanks for tuning in. Um, ultimately, I'm left thinking that this novel, it's got to be a jumping point to something even grander. Because at the end of this novel, the Tarmac have conquered almost all of the Plains of Dust. They have all of Duntulloch under their control. It's the end of the War of Souls at this point, months later. So they're just going back to Thincarthy to get re... Um, um, reinforcements and they're going to come back and take all of the planes of dust and there's nothing that can stop them like nothing and no one everyone else is so focused on dealing with the one god to and the minotaurs have already taken over sylvanesty so then i guess sylvanesty right here is all minotaur controlled the planes of dust right next door are all tarmac controlled if they work together nothing is going to save Kryn from these two forces because we're just presented time and time again that they are unstoppable, that they will take anything they want whenever they want and there's nothing anyone can do about it. I wonder what the 
what the tone is for people reading this nowadays, because it so heavily deals with slavery. And I know so many people get so emotionally upset about concepts that they don't like, like racism, bigotry, slavery, that I wonder if people who love Dragonlance, but have modern sensibilities that they're just really delicate flowers, if they could actually enjoy this novel. I'm not sure if they could. Not for the way that it depicts women, not for the way that slavery is just the de facto end and rape is the de facto end of, of war. Even though that's reality, modern audiences don't like reality. They would prefer not to live in it. So I wonder sometimes <laughs> if, if Dragonlance is too adult. This I, is uh, so funny. This children's series is too adult for adults, for modern adults. How insane is that? I was reading this stuff in middle school and I was just like, yeah, that's awesome. And now adults are dealing with some of these topics and they have to have trigger warnings and they can't deal with it. They can't even talk about it. They can't read it. They have to ban people for even liking it. They out people's personal lives and they, they try to cancel them with their real professions. I mean, it's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. You never understood why people get so upset about slavery and hatred in fantasy novels. Isn't that the point? They're evil and they need to be defeated by heroes. Yeah, that is the point. Like, straight up. All right, so anyway, if you enjoy Lynchia or the War Souls timeline, you're definitely going to enjoy this novel. More so than the last novel. And I do suggest that you read this one. It's almost an Empire Strike Back ending where the bad guys are winning and the heroes are pretty much just left devastated. And I am pretty much looking forward to this next novel. That might have changed my mind after thinking about this even more. But, but right now, in this moment, I'm looking forward to the next novel. All right, that is it for my review of Fly of the Fallen by Mary H. Herbert. Did you enjoy the uh, setting of Graal Gal Tracalas? Do you wish that there would have been uh, more explained about Thunder and his relationship with the Tarmac? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I'd like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. This channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. Thank you so much for joining in the celebration. Thank you for watching. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Until next time, Salon Javar.